Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to The Dirt Show. This is the weirdest presidential election in American history. Um, it seems to be dominated by courts, court cases, judges, lawyers, uh, you know, Elections are supposed to be about which candidate you support, what's best for America, what what the issues are, uh, where do you stand on uh, abortion, where do you stand on taxation, where do you stand on immigration, where do you stand on foreign policy? No, no. Everything in this campaign seems to be lawyers. You turn on, on television uh, about the election and it's Trump coming out of court, going into court, it's Hunter Biden. Uh, going out of court, coming into court, going into a, uh, a congressional hearing. It, it's just just the law is dominating. And, you know, this coming from a lawyer who's spent his whole life as a lawyer in court and defending, defending people. But it's, it's just it's just too much. You know, in the Federalist Papers, uh, Alexander Hamilton described the judiciary as the least dangerous branch. Why? Because the judiciary is the only branch that doesn't have the power of the sword, can't call out the army or anything like that, and it doesn't have the power of the purse, it can't allocate money. And so Hamilton said, it's the least dangerous branch. And, and I think the framers of our Constitution saw it as essentially a check and balance on the executive branch, which was so powerful, and the legislative branch, which was powerful as well. The judicial branch, you know, they sit back, they wait, the case comes before them, they decide the case. Uh, obviously, uh, the fourth chief justice of the United States, John Marshall, expanded the powers of the Supreme Court in Marlbury versus Madison and other cases where the Supreme Court held that, well, you know, maybe we can strike down laws of Congress if they're not consistent with the Constitution. But even so, courts can't reach out and, and decide cases, they have to wait until somebody brings the case before them. The person has to have standing. There has to be a case in controversy. There has to be jurisdiction. But but look at what's going on in the United States uh, uh, today. Every issue involving this election is in front of courts. Uh, the most important one, obviously, is the Colorado case that the Supreme Court um, granted review on. There, you have radical Democrats led by a Harvard law professor, uh, Lawrence Tribe, who wants to strip uh, America of its democratic character, wants to take away the right to vote from millions and millions of people who want to vote for Donald Trump. I don't want to vote for Donald Trump. I want to vote against him, but I want to vote. I want his name on the ballot. I want to be able to say no. I, I, I vote for his opponent, not, not, not for him. I don't want to win the election by default. Uh, I want to see my candidate win fair and square in a, an election in which everybody votes or, or lose fair and square 
you know, if Trump wins the election, so be it. That's what democracy is all about. I will be loyal as an American to whoever the president is, as I was last time around. I didn't vote for Trump last time around. I defended him and I helped him with the Middle East policy. I helped him with various executive orders involving anti-Semitism on campuses. Didn't work very well, but in the end, uh, it was better than nothing. But, um, you know, as a loyal American patriot, I'm going to support whoever the president is, um, even though I voted against him. But I want to have make sure that the election is fair. And the last thing I want is for Trump to lose and have a real excuse, a genuine excuse, unlike the one he had uh, in the 2020 election, in which he might say, look, I didn't lose this election fair and square. Look, they kept me off the ballot in, in, in such and such state. Look, I don't think they're going to keep him off the ballot. I think the Supreme Court has enough common sense to understand what that would do to our country. Uh, forget about the fact that the 14th Amendment doesn't permit it and Tribe and Judge Ludic are mistakenly reading the 14th Amendment, particularly by omitting Article 5 of the 14th Amendment, which says Congress has the power to enforce this particular amendment and these provisions of that uh, amendment. So, uh, but I don't think the Supreme Court is going to take Donald Trump off off the ballot. I don't know. Um, but that's one case where you know there's an enormous amount of at stake in the outcome of the case. And even if the Supreme Court strikes down Colorado and by implication Maine, although that case isn't directly before uh, the court, it will not be before there are disruptions at the primary level, because it, it probably won't decide the case before the earliest primaries. And uh, who knows what other states may decide to take Trump off the ballot or whether some red states will decide to take Biden off off the ballot, saying there's an insurrection, you know, that uh, what's going on in Texas is a form of an insurrection. There are insurrections going on, you know, these these attempts by radical anti-Israel and anti-American groups to close down access of Americans to their means of transportation, trains and, and highways, is a, you know, as much of an insurrection as what happened on Capitol Hill. But um, I don't think either of them fit the definition of insurrection. They're both uh, protests that have moved, at least as to some of the people, from First Amendment protected to criminal conduct, but that's still not quite an insurrection. But um, all right, so that's one branch of cases, the cases involving whether the president uh, uh, shall candidate uh, who's running against the president, the incumbent, whether or not uh, he can be taken off the ballot. I, I, I think the answer to that is going to be no. And I think the Supreme Court, I hope it will decide it nine to nothing. Not predicting that. I think there's a good chance it could be six to three or seven to two or eight to one, but um, I'm fairly confident it, it will come out in favor of allowing Trump to run on all the, on the ballot. If, if, if not, we're going to have real disruption in, in this country. First of all, a number of the states will say, um, we're not going to have primaries. Uh, we'll have caucuses. Um, or will the party leaders will just pick the, the candidate? And then the case will have to come again, whether or not you can keep them off the ballot in the general election. Um, it's going to be a mess. So that's the number one genre of cases. The number two genre of cases are these uh, criminal cases that are um, uh, being directed against Trump. 
There are a whole bunch of them. New York, the stupidest case I've ever seen in my, you know, 60 years of being involved in, in law practice. I've never seen anything as dumb as the New York case. Um, I'm talking about the New York criminal case. The New York civil case may even be dumber. But here you have two politicians, one a district attorney elected, the other attorney general elected, both of whom campaigned on the campaign promise to get Trump, and they have gotten him. They haven't gotten him convicted, but they've gotten him um, uh, in the New York criminal case, prosecuted for doing nothing for what, uh, not listening on some corporate form. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy case. They, they could have gotten Alexander Hamilton. That's, I wrote my book, Get Trump, about uh, I mean, it's not my title. The title, I'll be charged with plagiarism soon because I took the title from um, uh, from Letitia James's campaign slogans. I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to get Trump. So get Trump. But you're allowed to borrow titles. So I'm not worried about that. Um, but so there's the New York case. And, and it's New York, so there'll be a conviction. You know, 75% of, of New Manhattanites, and that's where the case will be tried, hate Donald Trump and they'll convict him of being a ham sandwich. Um, and, and, and so there's that case might very well be reversed on appeal, but that would come after the election. So there might be a conviction before the election. Maybe not. It depends on timing. Timing is always uh, a little bit uh, up in the air. Then there is the Florida case. That's the smoking cigarette butt. I've coined that phrase. It's my phrase. It's a smoking cigarette butt. What do I mean by that? That's the case where uh, Donald Trump waves classified material in front of a journalist and uh, another person and says, I could have declassified this. It was secret. I didn't declassify it, but it's secret. And here it is. And so nobody can dispute the fact that there was a technical violation of the law, but it's a technical violation of the law that so many people have violated and almost nobody ever gets prosecuted uh, for it. So it's smoking. Yeah. The evidence is there. It's smoking, but it's not a smoking gun. It's a smoking cigarette butt. And the court may step on it and put out the fire or the court may convict him for a misdemeanor. He's not going anywhere with that. It would, you know, be a, a, a fine of some, of, of some kind. Okay. Then the two really, you know, serious cases, uh, Washington DC, which is the case uh, we'll talk about in a minute where the allegation of immunity has been and raised. And uh, then there's the case in, um, in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, where 15 people are being charged with uh, criminal conduct. That case has come into some difficulty as well, because I don't know the facts here. I'm just telling you what I read in the newspapers. The district attorney, Fannie Willis, um, apparently picked as a special prosecutor in the case, her boyfriend. <laughs> and at least according to newspaper reports, he got paid a lot of money to, to, to prosecute the case. And now there are motions uh, pending saying, wait a minute, you're disqualified. You can't be picking your boyfriend and paying him all this money to prosecute the case. I don't know whether that will in any way interfere with the prosecution of the case, but uh, it's it certainly, um, you know, if this were a movie, if this were the Lincoln lawyer, which I've been watching, um, it will um, it, it, it would add a, a kind of romantic or sleazy um, element uh, to it. But then there's the D.C. case. That's probably the most serious case. Actually, the Georgia case is more serious because under George, two, for two reasons, 
under Georgia law, uh, there's a mandatory minimum sentence for RICO violation. So the judge probably would have no choice if he was convicted of RICO of sentencing him to, to prison. Uh, and, and, and also, uh, if he were convicted and were elected president, he couldn't pardon himself because it's a state case, not a federal case. So then there's the most serious, the serious case. Um, Georgia has the, the greatest possibility of a, of, a, of a jail sentence, but the most serious case uh, is the one in the District of Columbia where uh, Trump has been charged with um, all kinds of crimes relating to um, the January 6th riots in, in the Capitol. Uh, I don't know how that case would be decided. Again, District of Columbia, 90-something percent of the jury pool was going to hate Trump, and they'll probably convict him. But I don't know if a conviction will be upheld by the Court of Appeals or by the Supreme Court. But before we get to that, is there immunity? Um, and, you know, I watched the argument, uh, or I listened to the argument um, uh, live, and both lawyers overstated their cases. The lawyer for Jack Smith basically made a horrible, uh, dangerous argument, basically saying that if a person is the president and acts within his presidential authority and is being charged with a crime for acting within his presidential authority, he can't claim immunity once he's left office. Well, what good does that do? It eviscerates any claim of immunity if he can be prosecuted after he leaves office, that doesn't give him any safe harbor. Uh, so he's just wrong about that. And the Supreme Court will not tolerate that. On the other hand, the lawyer for Donald Trump was asked a question that he should have been prepared for. What's the scope of immunity? Let's assume he has immunity. Can he order um, uh, the SEALs to assassinate uh, the candidate who's running against him if he's president? And, you know, that's like the question that was asked to President Gay and the other two presidents. Uh, lawyers have to understand common sense. When you're asked, if you're the president of a university, whether it be MIT or Penn or Harvard, uh, is it against the rules of your university for students to call for the genocide of all the Jews? Of course, the answer to that question is yes. It's against the rules of the university, then explain. But the answer has to be, yes, no university can tolerate students saying about other students that we want to kill you. We want to commit genocide against you and your family and your parents and, and your uncles and your aunts. No, of course, of course not. The answer was so easy. Harvard has rules. Uh, and under Harvard's rules, where we punish microaggressions, where we suspend people for making a racist uh, comment in passing or a sexist comment, of course, those rules, if applied fairly, would also apply to people who advocate genocide against you. But the lawyers were lawyered up. No, it depends on context. And, and you know, taking advice from lawyers can be very dangerous. Ask President Gay, it cost her her job, in part. Um, and 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 uh, and 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 likewise here, here you have a lawyer defending Trump, and he's asked a simple question: Does immunity apply if the president, while he's president, orders the assassination of the man running against him? The answer to that is clear: No, he has no immunity. Nobody's immune from that kind of crime. Now we'll explain why. Instead, he said, "Well, 
if he's impeached first, then, yeah, he can be prosecuted. And then the follow-up question is obvious. What if he's not impeached? What if he leaves office, retires, or or uh, is not elected the second time? Can he really, if he's not been impeached, get away with murdering, first-degree murder, with potential death penalty? Um uh, a, a a political rival, a political opponent. Of course, you start there with the answer, and then you work backwards. The answer is, of course, a president is responsible. If you were to, you start by saying this is an absurd hypothetical. No president in history would ever do this or has ever done this. But if you're asking me a hypothetical answer, I'll give you a hypothetical question. I'll ask you, I'll give you a hypothetical answer. Of course, uh, hypothetically, if a president were to uh, call for the assassination and 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 his uh, rival was assassinated. And of course, he could be prosecuted. Now let's work out how it could happen. Yeah. But you have to know how to answer a question directly. Um, and and uh, uh, lawyers are not well trained to do that. The the lawyers who advise the presidents of the three universities did not do a good job. And the lawyers who advise the lawyers or the lawyers themselves um, in both cases um, didn't do a good job. They both stated their positions in too extreme a way. Look, I've argued 250 appeals or something like that. And so, look, I know, I know the pressure you're under when you have seven judges or five judges or three judges or even one judge throwing questions at you uh, like mad. And, and, and you have to be prepared for every question. But of course, this is a question that any lawyer would have been prepared for. You, you have to know that they're going to ask you that question. So, Lawyers, I don't know, too many lawyers, too much law, too many judges, too much focus on on the judiciary. And so uh, we have all these cases and these cases are intruding on the political process, whether intended or not. Uh, they do, in effect, if not an intent, uh, constitute election interference. Even if Trump were to be acquitted, remember that this is not these cases. The ones I'm talking about are not civil cases. They're criminal cases. So the defendant has to sit in the courtroom. He has to be there every day. That means he can't be out on the campaign trail. And that obviously gives an advantage to his opponent. Now, obviously, Trump will figure out a way of using that to his advantage. He'll hold a press conference on the way into the courtroom. He'll hold a press conference during lunch hour. And he'll hold a press conference on the way out of the courtroom. So I don't have a great deal of pity for him. Uh, on the other hand, he's not going to be able to. And, and that's in the District of Columbia, where, which obviously he's not hes not going to campaign in. Or uh, uh, some of the other states, perhaps, that he won't campaign in. He wouldn't want to campaign, obviously, in Florida and, and Georgia. Uh, those, are, those, uh, those are states that... Uh, could have an impact on the election of the District of Columbia. Obviously, we know who they're going to vote for, but we're, we're not so sure about the other states. So um, it could have an impact on, on the election. My, my point is just this. Judges and lawyers have to know their place. It's, it's important. We wouldn't want to live in a country without lawyers. Some of you, the way you write letters to me about who I'm representing, would probably be just as happy to follow Shakespeare's uh, villain uh, who said, first, let's kill the lawyers. And that's what, of course, Pol Pot did. And that's what uh, uh, 
um, uh, Mao Zedong did, and that's what Stalin did, and that's what Hitler did. First thing they killed the lawyers uh, because they know that lawyers can challenge them. But lawyers can play an important role, and so can judges. I wouldn't want to see a legal system without lawyers and judges. By the way, in many countries in Europe, Western Europe, and many parts of the world, Western democracies, the power of the courts are uh, trivial compared to the power in the United States or in Israel, some other countries, um, uh, in France, in Italy, in Germany. Germany has some, courts have some more power, but not nearly as much as in the United States and in, in Israel. In Israel, it became a a very divisive issue prior to October 7th and probably will remain a divisive issue once the war is over, if it ever ends, which I hope I hope it does. Um, so um, how do you control judges? How do you keep them in their place? It's, it's not easy. Um, after all, you don't want people to get away with things um, just because they're running for office or their father is in office, like, like Hunter Biden. Uh, I'm not going to say what some people say, because I think it's an abominable statement that is so misleading. I would ban it from the English language. I'm, I don't believe in censorship, but if I could censor, if I could, if I could censor six words from our vocabulary, it would be no one is above the law. No one is maybe one word. No one is above the law. The law. Okay, five words, five or six words. No one is above the law. It's the most absurd statement ever. Senators and congressmen can't be prosecuted for a variety of things. Until recently, they couldn't be prosecuted under statute and rules for insider trading. Are they above the law? No, it's the law that exempts them. Judges can't be prosecuted for doing certain things that the rest of us could be prosecuted for. That doesn't put them above the law. That says that the law exempts them from being treated like everybody else. Same thing is true of a president. There are certain things that a president should not be prosecuted uh, for. Uh, you disagree with what President Biden is doing at the border. That's fine. You can't prosecute him for that. Um, even if you could come up with some cockamamie idea of something that he deprived somebody of civil rights or civil liberties. No, you don't like what he's doing, vote against him. That's what elections are, are for. And so let's, let's not say no one's above the law. Let's eliminate that from our vocabulary. And let's recognize that there are certain actions and certain actors that can do things that if others did it, they could be prosecuted, but if they do it, they can't be prosecuted. That doesn't place them above the law. That just says the law gives them certain exemptions. I'll give you another obvious example. Uh, you go to your priest and you tell your priest that you committed a terrible crime. And then the priest is called before a grand jury. Now, everybody has to answer questions in front of the grand jury, but if the priest is asked, did your penitent tell you he committed a crime, he says, I can't tell you. Sorry, I'm not telling you. Is that put him above the law? No, the law permits the priest to withhold that information just the way it permits a lawyer and a doctor to withhold some, some information. So let's not confuse what the law permits as exceptions to what nobody's above the law. Okay, so I, I will try never again on this show to ever say 
nobody's above the law nobody's below the law the law is the leer the law and it sometimes does exempt people oftentimes it doesn't exempt people so that's where we are um what to do what to do is let's try to slow down this trend this weaponization of the criminal justice system that we're seeing um which turns everything into a legal battle it's not so new alex de tocqueville uh, 100 200 years ago wrote about that and said in america everything ultimately goes to the court and this was you know 200 years ago and imagine how much more it's gotten we are a litigious people but let's try to keep the law out of politics and out of presidential elections let's at least make an effort to do that that would be i think good for for democracy okay let's look at some questions i know there are Yesterday, I talked about the Epstein, so there are a lot of questions. I wonder how many men have been falsely accused of a supposedly sexual crime um, years after the event with no opportunity to reasonably defend yourself. Just the allegation is more than enough to destroy someone. Frustrating for you and many others, I am sure. Frustrating, yeah, but I'm fighting back, and uh, I'm going to continue to fight back. Um, I was falsely accused. We now know how I was falsely accused. We now have the the smoking gun, and it really is a smoking gun, of the journalist Sharon Churcher who, who put her up to it. Um, uh, you know, the, the media has not paid a lot of attention to that, and, and it should because it's so obvious that uh, I was set up and I was framed. Um, a person on Facebook posted an article he wrote in the 1990s advocating against statutory rape laws that presently existing as proof you're a pedophile. So ridiculous. Um, in fact, you pointed out those laws with several penalties are arbitrary and frequently enforced and should be revised. You suggested perhaps lowering the age of consent, some other laws to protect children. This proves nothing, but you're a civil libertarian. It's in due process. Also, I'm a feminist. Um, I got the idea from feminists. They were saying that um, the age of 18 is much too high for statutory rape because so many people around the country engage in consensual sexual conduct with people their own age at the age of 17 or 16. So uh, virtually every other country has lower age. In fact, some states do. New York it's I think, 17. Some states at 16. In England at 16. But in some places like California and Florida, where, where sexual conduct begins quite early, it's 18. And that means it gives prosecutors tremendous discretion to pick and choose. And often it was used in a racially motivated way, if a black man who was um, 18 uh, had sex with a white girl who was 17, they'd be prosecuted. And so as a civil libertarian, I was very anxious. This was before I ever met Jeffrey Epstein or never heard of him or anything like that. But, you know, people say, oh, my God, he must have known that years later he'd be charged with this. So he wants to bring the age down. First of all, uh, the woman who accused me was above the age of consent. Uh, so there's no there's no issue there. Ah, uh, okay. Hey, Professor, are there any clients you would personally feel uncomfortable representing? Your professional history brings in mind that of the French defense lawyer Jacques Berger, I knew him, who famously represented Nazi war criminal Klaus Barbie, among other infamous characters. Does your constant gravitation towards the city clientele, city clientele, stem truly from your belief in the Sixth Amendment or more from the fact that you enjoy the attention and notoriety that comes with it? Well, most of the people I've defended, particularly most of the CD characters that I've defended, um, nobody's ever heard of, and they were not high-profile cases. They were ordinary people who couldn't, couldn't get a fair trial. 
Uh, I do have rules. I won't represent people who are involved in ongoing criminal conduct. Um, if I if I think or suspect that I'm being used as a kind of consigliere to a crime organization, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, I obviously can't represent people who have hurt my family or people that are close to me. But beyond that, it, the nature of the crime is not something that would stop me from representing them. When an honorable man is falsely accused of an egregious crime, it can consume him until it's heard from the rooftops everywhere that he's innocent. We understand, Alan. Keep your head up. Know we support you and know you are an honorable man. Well, I will stop. I won't stop asserting and proving uh, my innocence um, until everybody in the world understands it. And they don't. Uh, the media still portrays me as, uh, as, as, as guilt because somebody accused me. Uh, the largest synagogue in Miami canceled the speech that was scheduled, all scheduled. The books were going to be given out and everything. They said, no, you're on the list, so we can't have you. Uh, yeah, people were on McCarthy's list, too. So, um, uh, But that's their issue. That's their problem, not mine. It's just they're depriving their congregation of the right to hear me talk about Israel, about what went on October 10th, about my book, War on the Jews, uh, about what went on at Harvard. Um, I would hope maybe some of the people in the congregation would protest to the rabbi and say, you know, leave it to us to decide whether we want to hear him, not because you think he's on some list and therefore you're going to cancel him. But that's that's not that's not right. Um, Professor, would you comment on the appeals court in D.C. asking Trump's lawyer whether a president is immune to prosecution for ordering the assassination of his rivals? Well, I have a comment on that. And I think it was a good it was a good question. Uh, congratulations, Professor Dershowitz. False allegations of this type not only harm the falsely accused, but also undermine the stories of actual victims of such horrendous crimes. I hope you are going after the British journalists and the lawyers who seemingly set you up, hopefully with the help of your false accuser. Uh, I'm satisfied that um, I've done what I can do, uh, and I hope the public follows the evidence. Uh, that's the important thing. Follow the evidence. Don't believe guilt by accusation. Don't believe McCarthyism. I have a list. Here, I'm on the list as, as, as somebody who is innocent, and yet I'm on the list. So I, I must be guilty. That's what the synagogue obviously uh, believed or wanted to believe and what some people and some, some media want to believe. Look, I can't make people uh, change their minds. All I can do is present the facts. And that's what I'm going to do until my dying day. And whether I bore you or not, I don't know. But I, I'm going to continue to, every time there's new evidence, every time there's new disclosures, I will disclose them and I will publicize them. And I will call for even more disclosures because I have nothing to hide. See you next week. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Ch -ch 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 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.